Hello, and welcome to episode 75 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And I'm so excited because this week we're going to talk about true crime and paranormal in Arizona. Yes. So I've got the true crime. Beth, you have the booze and the booze. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What? Oh my gosh. You took the words right out of my mouth and that was very weird to hear coming from you. (laughs) And we are recording face to face today. We are, which I love so much better, but. But I'm going to apologize because I'm a little congested because my mom's damn cat. (laughs) I don't don't even know what to say. (laughs) Another reason I might not be a cat fan because I'm allergic. Anyway, Arizona. We're talking about Arizona. I have the cocktail and paranormal as mom already stated. And the cocktail this week is the Arizona sunset cocktail. It's very pretty. And I looked everywhere. There's really (laughs) no history to this. It just (laughs) sounds really good. There's no storyline. There's no, I don't know. I literally put into Google Arizona cocktails, okay? Uh And there's a lot of Arizona mule cocktails that popped up that I guess that's pretty popular. Okay. Selfishly, I want to save that because that sounds really good. They do like a jalapeno infused vodka with the ginger beer, which... I think you'd like, even though you don't like ginger beer. I think you'd like it. It's worth a try. Then they have like an Arizona breeze and they have a lot of Arizona sunrises. But after looking in your cabinet, I almost said medicine cabinet. (laughs) Same thing. Um, Yep. There you had everything that I needed for an Arizona sunset. Okay. Arizona sunset has three fourths cup, very well chilled orange juice. (laughs) Not hot orange juice. (laughs) And not even just from the fridge. It has to be very well chilled. So I actually just poured a glass of it, put it in the freezer while I got all my ingredients together. And then that was fine. Two to three tablespoons of, now you have options, people. Light rum or coconut flavored rum or tequila. Okay. (laughs) So tequila sunrise. I mean, you can do whatever your little hearts desire. I chose light rum. Then it says one tablespoon of fresh lime juice, one and a half to two tablespoons. I mean, there are lots of options in this recipe (laughs) of well-chilled prickly pear cactus syrup. Yay, Missy, we finally got to open that bottle up that you gave me. Mom was like really excited. She's like, I have that. (laughs) Thanks to Missy. If you don't have that, you can use grenadine syrup. Okay. And then a seeded orange wedge for garnish, which I didn't do. That's and that's really happening. weird that it says a seeded orange wedge. What do they want the seeds in your cocktail? <laughs> what does it mean by that? It's no seeds. Oh, a seeded. Oh. <laughs> I'm just imagining like it has to have seeds in it. <laughs> Makes a prettier garnish. Oh, anyway. So, you shake the orange juice, and you take it out of the freezer at this point. (laughs) Take the orange juice, the rum, the lime juice, and several ice cubes in a cocktail shaker. Or stir together in a cup. Strain into a well-chilled... There's a lot of (laughs) well-chilled items. There's a lot of chilling going on. (laughs) Stemmed goblet or wine glass. 
gently pour the cactus syrup into the glass. Which, by the way, should be chilled also. Do not (laughs) stir. The syrup will sink to the bottom, producing a layered sunset look. It didn't really do that. (laughs) I must have. It it did. did. But not as as not as prominent as, the as these no, pictures. No. I mean, it's like straight up red on the bottom, yellow on top. Yeah, that didn't happen. But it was still really pretty. Yes, I think the grenadine because the grenadine is a deeper red. I think the grenadine might that have would been, make sense. Um, but the prickly pear is more towards a pink. It says cut a notch in the orange wedge and hook it on the rim of the glass. It doesn't say anything about taking the seeds out. <laughs> And then it says, serve immediately. (laughs) Because everything had been well chilled. So, you know. (laughs) I got this recipe off of the website, kitchenlane.com. Cool. Well, it it is really pretty. And now she's going to drink it by herself. (laughs) I'm cheering. Well, you can toast my water. Okay, I'll toast your water. All right, here we go. Oh, it's nummy. I thought it'd be really sweet. Like a Mai Tai or something like and that. And that's but what it kind of read in the description that those who like sweeter drinks will like this because of the, if you use grenadine. Because I think grenadine's sweeter. Yeah, grenadine's like sugar water. Oh, it's it's tasty. I think because the lime. The lime. Which you had me squeeze for you. Okay, so we used real lime. Mm-hmm. And it is actually rather tasty. Well, I had to keep everything well chilled, Mom. <laughs> I needed you to help me out some with something. <laughs> very good it's refreshing i could have probably just had one of these though just one because it is kind of on the sweet side sweeter side but it's not as sweet as i thought it would be got that do you got that all right anyway moving on to a true crime all right i know you've heard about this crime this person actually i'd be surprised if people haven't heard about this because it was in the news all over the united states as well as the world when it happened so I am going to start, actually, with the victim. Travis Victor Alexander was born on July 28, 1977, in Riverside, California, to two drug-addicted parents. His parents were neglectful and abusive, and his family was very poor. He was bullied as a child because he was small for his age, and as a result, he had few, if any, friends. Mm. He ran away from home at age 10. He ran to his grandmother's house, where he remained. Travis became very active in the LDS Church, that's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and finally had found a place where he was accepted and cared for. I honestly believe that there are two ways to live life after an abusive childhood, and I think you've heard me say this before. You can become the person who abuses, because it's a learned thing. Or you learn from the abuser of what not Not to do do. and of who not to become. Travis chose the latter. At age 30, Travis was heading in a good direction. He was an entrepreneur and a charismatic motivational speaker and salesman for the prepaid legal services. He had money, friends, and health. He dated several women, searching for the future Mrs. Alexander. These women were all members of the LDS Church, good Mormon women with good ethics and virtues. There was no premarital sex involved in these relationships, something that is not only encouraged by the church, but demanded. 
and slipping in this area required contrition and a request for forgiveness by the church. Oh my gosh, I, I didn't know it, that. I didn't either. It, they are extremely stringent in this area. Travis followed this teaching, but then in September 2006, Travis met Jody Arias. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. Now y'all know who I'm talking about. At a prepaid legal conference in Las Vegas. Jody Arias was born in Salinas, California on July 9th, 1980. She has an older half-sister, two younger brothers, and a younger sister. Jody loved photography so much that she dropped out of high school in the 11th grade oh, wow. to pursue a career in professional photography. To make money while studying photography, she worked as a server at a restaurant in the Vitana Inn and Spa in 2001 where she met Daryl Brewer, the food and beverage manager of the restaurant. They started dating. Jody was 21 by this time. Brewer was 40. Oh. In May 2005, the couple bought a house together in Palm Desert, California. Oh, I have family there. They each agreed to pay half of the mortgage each month. While still working at the restaurant, Jody started working for prepaid legal services in February 2006. It was also around this time that she became involved with the Mormon Church. In May, she told Brewer that she wanted to follow Mormon teaching and save herself for marriage. So she would no longer have sex with him. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Ironically enough, during the same time, she had breast implants. <laughs> okay. Random. <laughs> It was also at this time that Jody became very irresponsible, shirking on her agreed-upon financial responsibilities. Brewer moved to be closer to his son. Jody stayed in the house. The couple broke up in December 2006, and in 2007, the house went into foreclosure. Now, if you look at the dates, Jody and Daryl broke off their relationship in December 2006. And remember... Jody was keeping herself for the man she was going to marry. Jody and Travis met in September 2006. Six. Uh -oh. And according to Jody, their relationship became sexual a week after they met. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't add up, does it? But nope. Mm -hmm. At this time, Jody still lived in the house in California, and Travis lived in Arizona. The couple began traveling together, and when apart, they talked daily on the phone and sent emails to each other. Well over 82,000, as a matter of fact. Jeez. On November 26, 2006, Jody was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Travis was at the baptism. In fact, he was the one who baptized her, which was great with Jody. She even admits that she became Mormon to get closer to Travis. In February 2007, the couple started dating exclusively, and Jody moved to Mesa, Arizona to be close to Travis. Four months later, June 2007, the relationship ended, not the sex. After the breakup, Jody became Travis's secret sex partner. Remember, he was supposed to be pure and virtuous. I was just going to ask, like, he seemed to be taking it seriously, but maybe he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that pure and virtuous man is who he portrayed to the world and to the women who he started dating right after the breakup. Then strange things started to happen to him. His tires were slashed twice. Anonymous threatening emails were sent to a woman he was dating. 
and he told friends that he was sure Jody was a perpetrator of all these things. He even suspected her of sneaking through the doggy door at his home while he was Ooh, sleeping. That's terrifying. But even with this odd, suspicious behavior, Travis remained in this secret sexual relationship with her. Okay. One friend on the Dateline episode named Along Came Jody, which is uh, season seven, episode 24, said that Jody was like a drug to his friend Travis. He, as well as many of his other friends, advised Travis to let Jody go. She was bad news. But Travis seemed hooked on the sex and too hooked to let go. According to Jody, she finally got tired of being Travis's secret. She even stated that Travis told her she was fun and the sex was great, but he could never marry her. She was just not marrying material. Hmm. Jody returned to California in April. But sexually explicit emails continued between the two until late May 2008. Travis suspected Jody of hacking into his Facebook and bank accounts. And according to his friends, Travis ended the relationship altogether. Or so he said. Mm. According to police records, Jody rented a car on June 2nd, bought and filled three five-gallon gas cans and drove to Travis's home in Mesa. On June 4th, the couple had sex and even took explicit pictures of each other as well as pictures of them having sex. On June 7th, Jody returned the car to the rental in California. The car had been driven 2,800 miles Oh, and was missing all of its floor mats. Mm. There were also what looked like Kool-Aid stains on the front and rear seats. This was in the reports at the car rental, but by the time the police tracked the car down, it had been cleaned. So, no hmm. evidence. So, Travis was killed in the afternoon of June 4th. That evening, or night, Jody was in Utah with Ryan Burns. Who's that? <laughs> he and Jody met two months earlier at, again, a prepaid legal conference. This one in Oklahoma. The couple talked on the phone several times a week and made plans for Jody to meet him at his home in Utah. Now, this is only after a few hours of killing Travis that Jody knocked on Ryan's door. He testified for the prosecution at the trial that the only thing that seemed amiss with Jody when she arrived was that she had small cuts on her fingers, which she explained away by saying she had cut them on broken glass. Other than the cuts... Oh, by the way, broken glass from a restaurant that she was working at. I was just going to say, broken glass from from what? A, a glass that she had dropped or something while she was a waitress. Oh, she was still waitressing? Oh. <laughs> Who knows oh. by this oh. time what oh, okay. the chick was doing. <laughs> Other than the cuts, Jody was fine, talking and laughing at jokes, energetic and fully engaged. That is so bizarre to me. Now, this is a few hours after, and I will go into what happened to Travis. Mm. By June 9th, so five days after he had been killed, Travis's friends and co-workers began to worry. They hadn't seen or heard from him in days. Two of his friends went to his home and found him dead in his shower. They called 911 and during the call suggested the police look into Jody Arias. Oh, wow. Detectives found a lot of evidence at the murder scene, including hair, and body fluids, finger and hand prints, as well as a camera that was found in the washing machine. Mm. Pictures having been deleted. And I guess 
it had actually been run through the washing machine to ruin it. Mm-hmm. No, it didn't. The autopsy determined that Travis had been stabbed 27 times. Oh, my god! His throat was cut very deeply, and he had been shot in the head. Mm. So a little on this gunshot. The shot had been from right to left and downward. Okay, so somebody using a right hand had shot him above his left eye. Okay. okay. In the autopsy photos, there was just a teeny tiny hole above his left eye. Hit the bullet was actually found in his cheek. Oh, so, so it was above a him. downward motion. Interesting. Yes. Another interesting finding was there was no gross evidence of significant intracranial hemorrhaging. Huh? That the- <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Meaning perhaps that the shot happened after Travis was already dead. There wasn't a whole lot of blood. Okay. So it was just kind of like a kill shot, like just to make sure. God only knows on this. <sighs> on this. So sad. Jody's name surfaced more and more. She even began to call the detective in, in charge of the case. Esteban Flores. And they never called her? She called him. Why? Hey, I'm a friend. I heard that he was dead. If I can help in any way, I'd, I'd be happy to help. Just oh. inserting herself into the case so she could, I guess... Seem innocent, but it's all, also find out what's going on. It is really all about Jody. Yeah. It, it, it just unbelievable. Anyway, she offered her help with whatever she could do, but insisted she had not seen Travis since April. On June 17th, Jody was voluntarily fingerprinted and swabbed for DNA. Remember the deleted photos on the camera? Mm-hmm. Well, as most true crime enthusiasts know, you can't delete things from a computer. The same applies to cameras. The deleted pics were found, and boy, were they the smoking gun. The pics were dated and time-stamped. Mm. So they showed Jody and Travis pose nude, Jody and Travis having sex, and some chilling pictures of Travis in the shower minutes before he was killed I, i've seen the one where he's like facing the camera the very he last scared the very last picture well i don't know that he looks scared he just looks bewildered yeah i think yeah he looks and that, scared and you could tell he's behind the shower door because you see the water and the water drips i mean it's, it's, it's just a terrifying it's a picture chilling, it's a chilling picture it's very it's, chilling oh that was i hate that, that picture. was the last picture of him taken a lot i mean the last picture of him alive it's oh my gosh i can't even find the words there's also a picture of the ceiling and this is when jody dropped the camera and another picture time stamped about a minute and a half later of travis with his throat cut and a person's foot in the foreground wait why would she, why did she take pictures of his she didn't i think it was an accident so the ceiling picture was yeah. she dropped the camera and i think then you know, after she killed him, she picked the camera back up and accidentally took the picture. And that's why she probably got rid of everything. Well, and also... Well, that, and then they could place her there yeah, last time. Yeah. yeah, okay. Because it was all dated and time-stamped. Which, good for them that they keep their camera updated. My digital cameras are never updated, and it's like, <laughs> it always says January 1st on all of my pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. So, I, I watched the interview, Okay. When confronted with the pictures, Jody still maintained that she was not at Travis's house. Mm. 
If you're familiar with this true crime, you've probably seen the bizarre interview with Jody at the police station. I don't think I actually have. Oh, my gosh. Jody, who, by the way, has now dyed her hair from blonde to dark brown, speaks with a very quiet voice. She asked the detective a lot of questions about if she did do this, what would happen next? I mean, you know, I'm just curious. What, oh what would my the next gosh, step nobody be? even asks that in this situation. Oh my gosh. She avoids answering questions by expanding on her answers, which is totally bizarre. I couldn't have killed Travis. I can't even kill him. Anything, not even a spider. You can ask all my friends. You I can ask never, all the spiders. <laughs> I've never even killed a spider. Oh, I love animals, which then goes into a story about a dog that she once had. So she's not, she's like not answering any questions. She just keeps going off on these tangent with these long stories. <laughs> Jody was, is a master manipulator as well as a master deflector. Another odd thing she did during the interview was that she continued to ask to see the crime scene pictures. Ew. Not now, if you were like, if this was somebody you knew, I wouldn't want to see those pictures at all. <laughs> knew and supposedly loved. I, that would, no, that would be. But she, not just once, but she continually asked to see the crime scene pictures. That's weird. When Detective Flora stepped out of the room, Jody did all kinds of, oh my gosh, strange things. So you haven't seen this. No, I have not. And the one she, she turns to the side. She's by herself now. She turns to the side. She doesn't know that she's being recorded, I guess. And she just starts giggling. Ew. She's, no. She just creepily starts giggling. One of her spider friends told her a joke. She's like, <laughs> like that. I mean, it's what? so weird. Then she starts singing. Like, I, I forgot what song she sang. It, she, she just starts, she sits there and she just starts singing and just keeps going. And she's staring around while she's singing. That is so no, creepy. That, it, she sits on the floor then. She gets what? out of the chair. Now she's really getting close to her spider friend. sits on the floor. She puts her head down between her legs and then she tosses her hair back real fast. So her hair goes flying. And she's just sitting on the floor. It's like another, a toddler. Another detective comes in, a woman detective, and she's like, uh, get up and sit in the chair. So Jody does. And then when she's left again, okay, when she's left again, no, she what? looks at the wall and she gets up and she does a headstand against the wall. What? <laughs> she I swear to You're you. You're in, in an interrogation room. What? She do, she does a headstand against the wall. Good for her, though. That is talent. <laughs> so when Detective Flores confronts her again with a deleted picture, she asks, are you sure it was me? <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, chick, it wasn't only your face. It was your whole body. Yes, it was you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I have to see this video footage now. Uh, a few days later, test results came back. The bloody prints were those of Jody's and Travis's. The DNA from the hair found at the scene matched Jody's DNA. Detective Flores confronted Jody with this evidence. Then after a fake cry, seriously, it was very fake. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Jody admitted she was at the scene. And it was... <laughs> It was terrible. 
her and Travis were in the bathroom when a masked male and female came into the house and oh, shot Travis. Oh my goodness. <laughs> she was in fear of her life. The masked man aimed the gun at her and pulled the trigger, but nothing happened. She pushed the female invader really hard, and then she somehow got away, got into her car, and drove off. And went straight to that friend's house. Of course, that doesn't answer her nonchalant behavior when she got to Ryan's house. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she just had seen somebody she supposedly loved shot to death. And, she was held at gunpoint. And had a gun pointed at yeah. her. Exactly. She told the detective that she didn't call 911 because she was terrified and wanted to put the whole thing behind her. Of uh, course, <laughs> that also doesn't explain the message she left on Travis's phone after he had been murdered and she was driving to Utah. Just a mundane message about her getting lost and they should meet up sometime. Blah, 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 blah. After she supposedly Please tell saw me the cops are just like shot. rolling their eyes at her. Needless to say, Jody was arrested for the murder of Travis. The trial began on January 2nd, 2013. Initially, Jody requested to represent herself. What? What? <laughs> In a handstand position up on the stand? <laughs> what she did was wrote false letters that were supposedly signed by Travis. And what, what, what would that have to do with anything? It, it gets more bizarre. He signed these letters. Well, it was forged. And so she found herself way underwater on this. And so she asked to be represented. Kirk Nurmu and Jennifer Wilmot were appointed as her defense counsel. Juan Martinez, the prosecutor, said in his opening statement that Jody Arias had planned to kill Travis because she was jealous of the woman he was dating. So this whole time, you remember the movie Fatal Attraction with Glenn Close? Yes. And that's what kept going through my head. Yes. It was just, yeah. And in fact, that movie was mentioned a few times. And, really? Know, things that I read. He asserted that Jody had staged a break-in at her grandparents' house a week before the murder, and at this break-in, a 25 caliber gun was stolen. Oh. A 25 caliber round was used to shoot Travis. Oh. But the gun has never been found. The defense's opening statement was all about how Jody was an abused victim, and she acted in self-defense. This is story <laughs> number three now. Yes. Jody was on the stand for 18 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy cow. She was on the stand. Which is totally unheard of. Yeah. Wow. The first thing Jody did was to play the victim to the jury. Oh. She stated that she was beaten at home starting at the age of seven. Her stepfather beat her with his belt and her mother always carried a wooden spoon with which to beat her. The her abuse mom just carried that around with her everywhere she went. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing at this. Sorry. The abuse, I don't think that really happened. Her parents were there all through the trial. It was another one of those where her parents just were basically slapped in the face. <sighs> another Casey Anthony. Yeah, exactly. The abuse was also dealt to her by Travis, who made her into his sex slave. And when he wasn't happy with her, he would shake her, body slam her to the ground and kick her. In fact, he broke her finger one time while he was kicking her and she held up her bent finger in court. Hold on. So he's kicking her, but he only breaks her finger. Yeah. And she held this like this. One of your fingers is crooked, is it your? Yeah, it's my ring finger on my left hand. Yeah, it was her ring finger, too, that she held up. But it was really crooked. Mine's she... crooked because a horse bit me. She... <laughs> 
finger. She held it up. Stupid and it was horse. Like, like, you know, crooked, but she held it up in court. You know, nobody can see you right now, right? <laughs> I have to play it. I can see I you. I have to play it out in my own mind. Because it, it was just too much for me. Listeners cannot. She stated that on the day of the murder, she and Travis had had sex and taken pictures. While he was in the shower, she took pictures of him, but while doing that, had dropped the camera. Travis became violently angry, stepped out of the shower, and body slammed her to the tile floor. She somehow was able to free herself and ran to his bedroom closet where she knew he kept his gun. She grabbed his gun, and when he came at her in the closet, she shot him in the head. But didn't you say? But didn't you say there was a minute between the ceiling picture and then? It's the a minute and a half. Throat slashed picture. Yep, which like is a, a little different than a shot to the head. It's like a minute and a half. See, I'm listening. <laughs> so she had just shot him in the head, but he kept coming at her, saying that he was going to kill her. And then her mind went blank. All memory wiped clean. Where did she get the knife? She doesn't know. Why did she stab him 27 times? She doesn't know. Why did she cut his throat? She doesn't know. Oh my gosh. Okay. Why did she keep coming back to Travis? Why did she stay with him? If he was so... She's the one who's making all these trips. He was so abusive. They had already broken up. Right. Why did she keep coming back? Well, and I'm sure they have all the emails and texts and everything too. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. She nodded again. Nobody could see that. She nodded at me. This gets (laughs) even more bizarre. Oh, my gosh. Her answer as to why she stayed with him was that Travis was a pedophile. And to protect any young children that Travis may abuse, she had to stay in the relationship and have sex with him to keep his mind off of the children. (laughs) WTF. Are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. She didn't report him being a pedophile because she didn't want people to know what was going on in their relationship. And she wanted to protect Travis. Uh, Wow. I mean, uh, like, wow. This is. By the way, police found no evidence that Travis was a pedophile. He had no porn pictures at his house nor on his computer. Total BS. When the prosecutor started asking her the hard questions, you stabbed Travis, didn't you? Questions like that. Right. Jody puts her head down. Her hair falls down along the sides of her face and her and hand then covers her, her eyes. And she throws her head back? No, she covers her eyes and she makes sounds as if she was crying. But there's no tears ever. You just don't see any tears. <laughs> she was hit hard by the prosecutor. Sometimes Jody responded with a smug remark. Sometimes behind her hand crying, sometimes she responded with what would have been a long, expanded explanation. Remember, she likes to do that. She likes to tell her stories. But those responses never went too long, as Martine has always cut her off. Good. Jody was interviewed by a number of news programs and shows. In 2008, Inside Edition had an interview with her where she stated, quote, No jury is going to convict me because... I'm innocent. You can mark my words on that. (laughs) When confronted with these words at the trial, Jody said that the time of that interview, she had plans to commit suicide, so she wouldn't even have had a trial. In another news interview, during the trial, Jody said that, quote, she was in prison for a reason. People just needed her there. (laughs) 
Many of the inmates comment about her consistent, positive attitude, and she often finds herself in the role of confidant. She has heard from many inmates that she has had a positive influence on them. What do they say? I roll. I roll. I want to know what they actually say. (laughs) (laughs) On May 7th, 2013, after 15 hours of jury deliberation, Jody was found guilty of first-degree murder. The crowd outside of the courtroom went nuts. Yes, I did say crowd. (laughs) The trial was a national interest story. People tuned in every day to find out what happened in trial that day. It was sort of like O.J. Simpson, the trial. Oh, yeah. People would line up outside the courthouse early in the morning in hopes of being allowed into the courtroom. (laughs) I mean, they traveled from all over the United States, not just California. That's crazy to me. This was like a reality show. I mean, it had everything. Lies, sex, jealousy, religion. So now that she had been found guilty... Jody was up for the death penalty. Oh, wow. Two mistrials later. Why? Because I guess the jury had to decide, are we, you know, death penalty or not? And there was always one one person oh. in the jury that said no death. Two mistrials later, the judge finally sentenced Jody to life in prison with no parole. A little on the lawyers involved in the trial. Prosecutor Martinez was disbarred. Oh. In July 2020, because he had allegedly leaked info to a member of the media who he was having an affair with, and he communicated with a dismissed juror. Oh, my gosh. Defense lawyer Kirk Nurmi released a book in 2015 talking about his experiences working with Jody. It was called Trapped with Miss Aries. Mm-hmm. It turned out that he had asked several times to be taken off of the defense counsel because of Jody, but these requests were denied. Really? In his book, I think it's Nermai, is how he says his name, writes about what Jody was like without the cameras on her. She was extremely demanding, so much so that he was not able to give any other cases his attention. She was manipulative and came on to him sexually. Oh, gosh. She would talk to him about her um, private grooming. Uh, okay. And she wouldn't mind him seeing her naked in photos. <laughs> yeah. Nermai commented that he felt Jody looked at him as a boyfriend. So, of course, he would want to see her naked, right? <laughs> what? In Nermai's words, quote, she creeped me out. Jody filed suit against Nermai for violating the rules of ethical conduct by writing the book. Nermai decided to quit practicing law. He said in an interview that he had two challenges in his life, beating cancer and Jody Arias. Oh my gosh. Choosing to quit practicing law was one way to just be done with Jody. Oh my gosh. As for Jody... Since her sentencing, she has been moved to a number of different prisons. She is now at the Prairieville Prison, located in Goodyear, Arizona, which is less than an hour from Travis Alexander's home of Mesa. Mm. Jody has been creating and selling artwork from prison, according to some prison inmates that have been released. Says that she flirts with guards to get special treatment. Like the pens and the paper and that kind of stuff. Okay. And people are buying her work. Stop. Stop buying her stuff. Spending over $1,000 for originals. And in 2016, a recording 
of Aries detailing her daily life in prison was released by Radar Online. Quote, I've had so much love coming in my direction. Ew. I can't even respond to it now. Ew. <laughs> oh my gosh. If I was ever bothered by somebody, it Ew. would be this chick. <laughs> and then she flips her hair back oh, and does another handstand on the gosh. wall. Oh my gosh. She says how my hair used to be down to the bottom of my back and I cut it and gave locks of love. I gave my hair to locks of love. I'm just doing all kinds of really good things because I, I want to just change, become a really good person. She's not getting out, okay? Yeah, she's she in is for life, right? Not getting out, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's a trip. So her her ex roommate that was in prison with her um, had tattoos all over her, and they did an interview on her and or with her, and she said Jody had done the tattoos. Now, what? how somebody in prison can do tattoos? I don't know, but again, she got away with it, and she didn't use ink. She used some like ground, yeah, uh, is ground charcoal or something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure what cool. tattoos all over her, and one of them was like her and Jody. You know, I think she was in love with Jody. I think Jody just doesn't care what sex it is. She she will use manipulation to get anything and everything she wants. Gosh, I I have no other words. Just. Ugh. You have to Google the interviews, though. They, they'll just blow your mind. Her just singing, giggling, and, and doing the headstand. So um, Dateline, that Dateline episode that had I mentioned, that yeah, there. had all of that, most of it I on there. I think I'm going to check that out for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Along came Jody. So what do you have? Okay. I just, wow. <laughs> wow. Talking about a trip. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's my segue. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm so far along in this pregnancy and I can't travel that makes me want to. Or if I'm a little bit like my stepdad in the way that I get the travel bug a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> but I found another place that I really want to go and visit. We have a list going, girl. We've got so many places to go to. Yes. This place looks awesome. It's another town that just looks amazing. Except for one of the haunts that's there at this location. I think this place sounds just perfect. Okay. So the place I'll be covering has changed its name a few times in the 122 years it's been standing. But it comes in full circle because its original name back in 1899 is now its brand new name. Okay. The Clink Sales. Clink Scales. <laughs> the Clink Scales. No. Clink Scales. <laughs> We're going to call it <laughs> Clink Scales Building. Okay. So just like the Silver Queen in Virginia City, the entire little town where this building, because I'm not going to try to repeat it again, it's C-L-I-N-K-S-C-A-L-E-S. It's Clink's Kales, but it's one word. Okay. I don't know why I'm having really a hard time saying that. The building is super haunted. Jerome, Arizona is where it is located. And back in its heyday, it was a booming copper mining town. 
Apparently, some hotshot New York lawyer, Eugene Jerome, started the mining community. But he'd never been there, never went out there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) His wife, who apparently had money, came from money, Paulina Von Schnadow Jerome (laughs) of Chicago. (laughs) I'm really having a hard time with this episode. Paid for the construction of it all and named it after her husband. Okay. And thus the town of Jerome was born. A few years later, a very, very rich man, William A. Clark, I can say his name, from Montana, came out and bought up the town and he really built up to this, he built it up to this prosperous area. The town was built on the steep slopes of Cleopatra Hill. Oh my. It's 5,000, not 5,000 square feet. (laughs) It is 5,000 feet above sea level. Big difference. The views look, seriously, they look gorgeous. So they're just like built into this steep, uh, they call it a hill, but it looks like a mountain to me. (laughs) So you're from Kansas? (laughs) I'm from Kansas. It kind of reminds me of like, you know how Eureka Springs has those like winding Mm -hmm. streets and because they're built up kind of in the hillside. It's very similar looking to that. Oh, okay. So back in the day, it was a mining town, another mining town. I seem to be picking them a lot. I'm sorry. But with all those men out there, that means that there were lots of bordellos. And right there on Main Street was the Clink Scales building. (laughs) Sorry. A very popular bordello run by a very rich woman, probably the wealthiest in town, Madame Jeannie Banters. Apparently, the building was built on top of where a huge fire had burnt down a previous building, and Madame Banters oversaw her new building being built. The walls were made 18 inches thick to make it as fireproof as possible. Even though Madame did well financially with her bordello, that lifestyle was, I mean, all the lifestyles in a mining town had to be a bit rough, Mm -hmm. especially for a woman out there. As the town grew and thrived, families started moving into the town, churches were built, and the bordellos, well, especially one right there on Main Street, (laughs) wasn't exactly what the townspeople wanted. Yeah. So many bordellos, including Madame Banters, had to move to the Crib District, that's what they called it, to an area called, and I'm not making this up, Okay. Husband Alley. Soon after moving into her new establishment, Madame Banters was actually killed by one of her girls' customers. Husband's alley stayed pretty busy into the late 40s, even after prostitution was made illegal. The original bordello in the Clink Scales building was turned into a hardware store on the bottom that Mm -hmm. had originally been a saloon of Mm -hmm. sorts. And the upstairs rooms that had belonged to the working girls became apartments. Okay. Over the years, the building changed hands, changed uses, and the town, well, back during World War II, the demand for copper was high. So they were doing very well out there. But after the war, the demand decreased. So not so well. The copper mine closed in 1953, and those that lived in the town of Jerome went to find work elsewhere. Mm -hmm. The population of Jerome in 2019 was... Just over 400 people. Oh, my goodness. A lot of people went somewhere else. Wow. Yeah, but they're, the locals that are there really put their heart and soul into keeping their community and town like alive. 
The state historic park right near town has been maintained very well with lots of artifacts and the mines and the old buildings have remained open for tours. I mean, they live off tourism. Oh, that's how they, okay. So the big town itself is kind of like I described it, like Eureka Springs. It's, it's and just like Virginia City. So it's thriving. You have your shops, you have your restaurants, you have some hotels and everything All right. like that in Jerome. Just outside Jerome where the mines were, because mm-hmm. there was multiple mines out there. All those buildings that are out there that were used by the miners, they've kept it in its ghost town appearance. Oh. So they give tours out there as well. Okay. And they have like a bunch of old vehicles and stuff out there. So they're doing the best they can, but it is just, just a small town. Run on tourism. That would be tough. I would think it'd be really cool to go and see all of it. But yeah. yeah. So like Virginia City in Nevada that I talked about last time, Jerome in Arizona has many haunted buildings. The old community center, now known as Spook Hall because of all of its hauntings. (laughs) The Crib District is haunted and many haunted hotels and inns, which is what the Clink Scales building became the Jerome Inn and Grill. Then it became the Mile High Grill and Inn, which recently made some updates and changed its name to the Clink Scales Hotel Bar and Grill. Actually, the updates were made by a group called the Haunted Group. Oh, I guess it's a locally owned hospitality business where they grow and update businesses across Arizona. Their name, The Haunted Group, comes from their first restaurant. It was actually in Jerome called The Haunted Hamburger, which was originally some old building that they turned into this. I can't say hamburger joint because the place looks really classy. It looks really nice. But as they were as they were renovating it, they had a lot of spirits mess with them. And spirits that apparently like to steal and hide their hammers. <laughs> so they called it the Haunted Hamburger. And now they help other businesses across Arizona renovate and reopen and everything. Well, so now they're cool. called the Haunted Group just because that's how they started. That's cool. So the lower level of the Clink Scales Inn is their lobby bar and restaurant. All of the reviews, I mean, every single review I read said that the breakfast was fabulous. People come from all over just to have the breakfast. Really? And I guess it's included in your stay when you stay there. So uh-huh. so we're I, having breakfast. Yes. Okay. I hear it's amazing. The food in general just had raving reviews. Interesting. They do just breakfast and lunch, but it's said on their website. They have a plan to open for dinner soon. Okay. So good for them. Upstairs above the restaurant is six guest rooms in their boutique hotel. And the rooms are awesome looking. Like there's exposed brick walls. Oh, I they love have it. Great decor. They've really updated it a lot. Mm-hmm. So you still get that old building feel, but it's really been updated. You have that like antique looking beds, but you can tell they're newer. And right. The, the decor is just, it's fantastic. It's so stinking cute. Hmm. Okay. So now on to the haunts. We shall start with an elderly man who haunts the inn. They aren't exactly sure who the old man is, but his haunts seem to come with a sense of humor. He is seen in the halls of the guest rooms. He's seen as a hazy apparition of an old man. I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand my own notes, but that is how he's described as a hazy apparition of an old man. Okay. Can't be that hazy. (laughs) He wears 1800s clothing with a felt Nice. 
So it can't be that hazy. No. They can see that it's a <laughs> felt got, They've hat. got a total description going on. He is known to laugh at the maids and even at some guests as well. When a maid makes a bed in one of the guest rooms, turns to clean something else, then comes back towards the bed, there's usually an impression of a body laying on the bed. Oh. They blame the old man for this. That'd be kind of spooky, actually. His favorite room to haunt seems to be the room with the name the Kiss and Tell Room. This is where the body imprint is left on the bed a lot, as well as he likes to play with the doors to the armoire Mm -hmm. a lot. He like opens them and then closes them and then opens them and then closes them. Okay. If I was there, that would be creepy. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Old man hazy or not. (laughs) (laughs) If he was clear as day or if he was hazy, it would (laughs) still scare me. Exactly. There is a second old man that haunts the inn, but this one is grumpy. He seems to have some issues and he seems to get his kicks by scaring people. Oh, no. He will open and close windows. He'll pull blankets off of guests and seems to make his presence known by a cold wind. He has been seen hiding in the doorway of the Victorian Rose Room. And he likes to turn on and off the water in the bathroom. And in this room, I'm not sure if it's the grumpy old man that haunts this room or if there's somebody else haunting it with him because they claim they also get a whiff of roses or perfume. Oh, so that can't be the grumpy old man. He could like perfume. <laughs> I guess he could. Maybe that's why he's grumpy. <laughs> why would liking perfume make you grumpy? Because he can't get it anymore. <laughs> But he still smells of it, so why would he need any more? <laughs> okay, I don't know where this is going. I, don't I think we're both really <laughs> tired. <laughs> Madame Jeannie Banter seems to still be keeping an eye on the on her building as oh. well. Her favorite room is reported to be the Lariat and Lace Room. Am I saying that correctly? Lariat? L-A-R-I-A-T. I can't even pronounce the name of the building, let alone this room. Where apparently she rearranges furniture. Oh, she's busy. And I guess she moves a lot of things around in a lot of the rooms in general. Does she smell like roses? It doesn't say she does. I didn't read anything about her smelling like roses. (laughs) So she likes to move things around a lot, which ticks the maids off because different like things are moved from one room to the other. And they're like, oh, this room goes in in the other room. Oh, my gosh. I'm so tired. This clock... Why are there four clocks in this room? This clock's supposed to go so in that room. So she's not only arranging inside the she's room. She is literally things. Yes. moving things from one room to the other. Yes. She is sweet to the maids, though. And as they clean, she will turn on the radio. Oh. She's also known to mess with ceiling fans. Cooks in the restaurant also claim that she keeps an eye over them while they work. Apparently, if things aren't put away correctly, she is known to move the items or even throw them. Oh. We've heard a lot about spirits throwing things in, in the, restaurants. In, yeah, in the kitchen. In the kitchen. Particularly. Yeah. Like a lot of places. That's weird. That is very weird. And the Crescent Hotel comes to mind. I think I've told like at least two other stories where the kitchen is having things <laughs> thrown at them. It's just, that's odd. Uh, okay. The best haunt is for you, mom. And I only share this because it's the most common haunt. But I hate it. It's Madame's cat. <laughs> the hotel has named him Sips. Sips? Sips is the most common haunt of the inn. 
I guess there's some kind of a lounge in the hotel for guests with has like couches and a fireplace. It's mm-hmm. just very relaxing. And while they sit and enjoy their evening cocktail, they will feel something rub and circle around <laughs> their legs. <laughs> Meows can be heard throughout the hotel on occasion. And the sound of a cat sharpening his claws on different areas of the hotel are heard. Like, what the heck? (laughs) (sighs) The cat is known to take naps on guests' beds. So he leaves an imprint as well. Oh, man. As well as on the stairs. I'm going to read you a little about Sips, the cat, from the website milehighgrillandin.com. Quote, It has been repeatedly reported by some reliable guests and two very drunk ones. (laughs) (laughs) That while either standing in the hallway bathroom or hanging out in the sitting room of the Mile High Inn, remember that's what it used to be named. Yeah. People have felt something rubbing against their ankles and around their feet. One also videotaped the end of their bed where it appeared to be something walking across the edge (gasps) of it, stopping, And then sitting or lying, leaving the bed cover slightly dented and wrinkled. (laughs) That would be so awesome to see. Oh, my gosh. The madame that once occupied our Jerome building site, the Cleek Scales building, did in fact have a cat. We have nicknamed it Sips, which according to housekeeping, it seems to have cottoned to. That's what it says. That's what I'm reading. Don't know what it means. There's a picture of Sips downstairs at the Mile High Grill above the bar. Just be careful on the stairs. He apparently likes to hang out there, according to the two drunk girls that missed the last step and face planted on the sidewalk. (laughs) Blamed it on Sips. Unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. The inn and the whole Clinkscales building seems to be haunted, to say the least. Yes, not only just one bedroom like a lot of places. It mm-hmm. sounds like everyone. Singing is heard in the women's restroom of the Grill and Bar. Oh, God, Jody Arias. I just came. She just came to mind. <laughs> oh, that woman. Lots of apparitions and shadows are seen when the building is supposedly empty. And whistling is heard in the bar. And lots of objects move. Oh, my. Even downstairs, not just upstairs. Apparently, yes. And I also read in the reviews of this place, the Bloody Marys are amazing. (laughs) So we need to go to Virginia City and try their Bloody Marys. We're not going to be the two girls (laughs) get drunk on Bloody Marys and trip down the steps. We can always blame Sips. Sips. Whatever happens, we're going to blame George and Sips are always going to be our (laughs) go-to if we ever trip downstairs. (laughs) Wow. I do want to go. I know. And we need to compare Bloody Marys, like, for for reals. We'll do so. We take a road trip. We should call it the Bloody Mary tour. Oh! There you go. Because I'm sure everywhere serves Bloody Marys. But these two places. Killer hangover on the Bloody Mary tour. Yes. I mean, there's got to be Bloody Marys everywhere, but these two places in particular, these haunted bed and breakfasts, basically, or these inns, all the reviews, both of these places. So at least we have two places on our list all right. that are nowhere near each other. <laughs> I wonder how far Jerome is from Virginia City. I don't know, but you know what? I Okay, I Google mapped it, and it is an 11-hour drive. Oh, we can do that. 
Yeah, it looks like you, we got to drive through Vegas, so we could always go to Zach Bagan's Museum. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sure there's Bloody Marys in <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> It's the Bloody Mary West Coast tour. <laughs> so... Anyway, that's all I got for you, Mom. Next week, we will be covering stories from Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky. Yep. If you want to see pictures and links to everything that we've discussed and resources, you can find that on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. You can also still follow us on our Patreon a link to that will be in the description of this episode, as well as on our website. If you've been any of these places or have any recommendations for a Bloody Mary tour, email them to us <laughs> at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Hey, by the way, one day late, but happy 4th of July. Officially, yes. I hope everybody had a safe, safe and, and fun 4th of July weekend. Well, dear. This was a good one. So, it was. And Your my, cocktail's gone. My cocktail is gone. And I'm trying to put Jody out of my mind. Ugh. I still want to watch that Dateline, though. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening, guys. We're very thankful for you. We've been asked by many people different ways that you guys can support us. You can support us by joining our Patreon. That's always helpful. Or even just leaving us a five-star review or rating anywhere you listen to your podcast is very, very helpful, too. Yes. So, Thank you. Thank you to all of those that already have done that. We appreciate you. And cheers to all of you. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.